Welcome to The Queerness, an LGBTQ podcast produced by San Francisco Pride inside our third floor airy overlooking the central freeway and some buildings zoned for light industrial use in what is otherwise the most gorgeous city on earth and which also happens to be unceded Ohlone Ramatush land. I'm your host, Peter Astrid Kane, and I'm SF Pride's communications person. I also use they, them pronouns. And in the episode you're about to hear, so do both of our guests, Lotus Boy and Kevin Seaman, who are, respectively, a performer at and the organizer and host of the forthcoming They Friend Performance Art Festival at Brava's Cabaret on Thursday and Friday, November 18th and 19th. Lotus Boy, who, according to their Instagram bio, uses a number of pronouns, about which more later, describes themselves as gender-deconstructing, binary-defying, disabled Chinese-American drag king. Cool. They also executed a truly gorgeous Cruella Deville drag look, which, I can verify, put all the many half-assed Cruella Devilles I saw walking around outside lands to shame. Kevin Seaman is someone I have known for almost as long as I've lived in San Francisco. They are an interdisciplinary artist who creates maximalist performances and media that obscure and expose gender identity. Influenced by San Francisco's drag culture and history of activist provocation, their practice explores feminine masculinity, the hyperpolarized gender binary, and the physical and imagined layers we don to protect ourselves and find belonging. You may have seen them performing as LOL McPherson and or Dr. Zabrowski. They're also my neighbor and the person who went with me to the DMV in August 2020 to get driver's licenses with an X gender marker. Lotus Boy. Kevin, welcome to The Queerness. Hello. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Wonderful to have you here. Yeah. So it's November 2nd. Halloween was only two days ago, and I think people were pretty excited to dress up and threaten homeowners with a light toilet papering if they didn't get a fun size Snickers. Tell us about your Halloween looks. So as you mentioned, I donned a Queerella DeVille. That's my version of Cruella. And I will say I was cheating a bit because I did a Cruella look last year during quarantine. And I did a digital drag number where instead of being Cruella, I was Queerella, Cruella's non-binary twin, who is very sick of being confused for Cruella because Queerella is vegan, weed smoking, animal loving, and is absolutely aghast at everything that Cruella has ever done. Also because I love dogs and I would never hurt a dog. And instead of a drag number, I just did a tutorial on how to make homemade dog food because I also cook for my dogs because I'm that type of dog owner. So I wanted to do a brand new live performance since I have only returned to live performing the past few months because I've been recovering from an injury. And it was really fun. I got to perform it at Oasis in SF. And then I also had the honor of being able to perform at John O'Connell High School in SF for their pronoun day which was last Thursday. And it was such a beautiful experience. I was really emotional at the fact that schools are doing this now. I mean, granted, I know it's San Francisco. So of course, you know, a little bit privileged there in terms of acceptance of queer and trans and non-binary identities. But It was really great. The kids were all super sweet and excited. Regarding pronoun day at John O'Connell, like 
roughly what percentage of the student population uses pronouns other than those which they were assigned at birth, would you say? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not qualified to speak on those demographics. Um, oh, they didn't, they didn't talk, you didn't talk to like a, like a group? Uh, I did talk to a, a several students, but it was kind of a lunchtime atten- um, assembly, rather, not attendance, a lunchtime assembly. So people were kind of going in and out, and not everyone was wearing pronoun buttons or T-shirts, and then there was a station to screen print your own pronoun shirt. So I'm not sure. Uh, I, I can't really say, but I would say there was at least about 100 people there, at least learning and witnessing the event and the education that was going on. Kevin, what were you for Halloween? Guy Fieri? Yeah, I'm I'm like much less exciting, I feel like, for for me than Lotus Boys. (laughs) The tour to Lotus Boy to every high school. uh, But no, I I was a couch potato for most of the weekend. And then I got some last minute energy and threw together some like old drag pieces with some leather items and chose to um, be the embodiment of Gay Racula which is a uh, like a B porn movie from from like the ni- late 1970s, I think. Um, of course, Gay Racula in the poster and in the movie is just wearing a cape and a cock ring, which was not acceptable for my outfit. So I few, wore a few more accessories and clothing. Nice. I, I was at day three of Outside Lands and I was very tired and dirty and all I did was wear a cute David Bowie t-shirt and put on highlighter. That's literally the extent <laughs> of my costume. Anywho, so tell us about They Friend. What is it all about? What are your respective roles within it? Yeah, sure. So uh, They Friend started actually last year in 2020 when um, I just put together a salon of different non-binary performers from across the nation in conjunction with a couple of different performing arts conferences that were happening. We just wanted to make sure that there was some some kind of central point to which we were um, focusing on non-binary identity. And so this year we wanted to expand that salon into a festival. And so we will be hosting three of our commissioned featured performers, one of which we're talking to today, Lotus Boy. The other two are interdisciplinary artists, Edgar Fabian Frias and musician Peekaboo, both of which are, along with Lotus Boy, are creating the featured content for the festival. Um, I will be hosting the festival. We'll have a lot of laughs. Um, And then we'll also have some guest appearances from folks that are contributing some video content, um, of which I'm so excited. One is our project advisor, Dorian Wood, who has been meeting, has helped select the um, artists that we're commissioning, as well as um, working with us uh, throughout the commissioning period. Um, We'll also have uh, an appearance from Billy Dean Dean Thomas, who is a hip hop MC based on the East Coast and performance artist Castles based in L.A., who I'm really excited for. That's really cool. Lotus Boy, can you tell us about your performance? No, not don't give it all away, but just a a tiny inkling about what we can expect from you. As Kevin mentioned, I'm one of the commissioned featured artists. I'm so grateful and excited to be a part of this really groundbreaking production event. My performance as both a drag king will of course feature a bit of drag and also an original monologue that also has some poetry sprinkled in there. And my performance content will focus on the intersections between being both visibly disabled and invisibly disabled 
depending on the day and being Chinese American and mixed race and also being non-binary and gender fluid. I found that it's been a common theme that has really defined a lot of my experiences throughout my life and especially the experiences since coming into my non-binary identity and coming out only about two, three years ago. The experience of being kind of in between a lot of things. So the binary of being either disabled or not disabled when you are talking about when people visually see some type of marker of whether or not someone is disabled. But then when you have disabilities that are sometimes invisible, it makes things very difficult because people have all these assumptions about what a disabled person should or does look like. And then on the flip side as well, being a mixed race Chinese American person who also is most of the time visibly queer, I would say, that also doesn't really fit into people's expectations of what a Chinese person looks like, adding in all of the racism and anti-Asian hate that has been compounded in the past almost two years now, I think really has fed into a lot of people's negative and really warped perceptions of what Asian and specifically Chinese people are. And then finally, being non-binary, of course, that means something different to every single non-binary person. But for me, as someone who identifies both with the words non-binary, gender fluid, and trans, to me, it means that my gender can change any given day or moment. And with that comes a lot of different expectations of, oh, well, you presented this way, so that means you might act a certain way. Or you presented this way this day, that means oh, all of a sudden you're now wearing a wig or a lipstick and just a lot of really close-minded expectations I've found that have limited me through a lot of my life as I was coming into my queerness, my gender, and my identity as an artist as well. That's amazing. Yeah, in your Instagram profile, uh, which is at King Lotus Boy. Let's just get that out there. You uh, self-identify as non-binary, as trans, and then, well, I'll spell it. It's K-E-U-I and the number five. Can you can you give us a brief explanation of, of that term and its context? Yeah, so that is actually the gender-neutral uh, pronoun in Cantonese. And in Cantonese language, although I don't fluently speak it, they have gender-neutral language already, within a lot of cultures, not just Chinese culture, there's the precedent of historically China as a country and a lot of other East Asian cultures being very homophobic and very transphobic and very not accepting of any sort of expansive gender or sexuality. And it was only recently that I learned that Cantonese language has a gender neutral pronoun already, which I think is really cool. And it's, it's kind of funny to think about how, you know, built into culture and history, there's already acceptance and reverence for non-binary, for lack of a better phrase, because of course, you know, in Chinese, there's not a word for specifically non-binary, but there's already that, in my opinion, that acceptance. And there is reverence, if you go back to different Chinese folklore, there are different deities that were 
depicted as being sort of shape-shifting and gender-shifting. So one that's coming to mind is Guanyin, which is, there's a similar or equivalent deity uh, present in other Asian cultures as well. But in Chinese culture, she's associated with being the goddess of mercy, also associated with a lotus flower as well. So lotuses are very significant in Chinese culture. And she's also associated with rebirth and fertility and love and compassion. And so a lot of things that I also try to emulate and and harness in my work, going back to the original point, is that she's depicted as being kind of gender changing throughout different years and different periods or uh, different tellings of her story. So it's, it's interesting how when you trace it back, it's like queer and trans and gender and expansive people, we've always been here. And we have been the foundation of a lot of culture that has survived for thousands of years. But at the same time, there's still a lot of dissonance, I think, with contemporary interpretations of things. How do you conceive of the non-binary community, aesthetically speaking? And the way I'm thinking about it is, you know, looked at one way, it, it may actually be the most diverse segment of the LGBTQ community because you have people who identify as trans, people who don't, um, and there's virtually every permutation of sexual orientation and gender expression underneath it. I mean, that feels like a, very, a challenge in terms of, you know, satisfying ticket holders to come to come to their friend. Am I on the mark there? Is that something that was on your mind? Yeah, well, to, I, I think as a curator for this festival, it was really Im- important for me, number one, to work with um, to work with our advisors, Dorian Wood and KB Boyce, to make sure it wasn't just my perspective looking at who we were featuring in the performance. So I think that was really critical to making sure that it wasn't singular, singularly curated, but that we had a multiplicity of voices and that we thought a lot about the different types of people, um, Lotus Boy and Edgar and Peekaboo, of like, what what were the representations that we're hoping to have on stage? Where are folks coming from? What different aspects of identity um, are our artists representing? And so I think in that way, yes, it's incredibly difficult thinking about all of those measures of identity and making sure that everybody gets represented, but it feels less so when everyone takes it, just owns a piece of exactly where they are. Um, although I think we're, we're now starting to see a lot of non-binary performance nights or events happening, there hasn't been kind of a large-scale festival. And although we are still pretty small in our first year, we're really hoping that this format can continue to grow uh, so that we can continue commissioning performers to create work, um, hiring artists to perform and continually expanding the conversation about what non-binary aesthetics and performance even mean. Yeah, I mean, I know this is the, this, it's been around for one year, right? And in that time, do you, have you heard of other people in other cities doing similar, mounting similar productions? You know what, I haven't heard of, of folks doing um, festivals. I know I want to give call out to just as an emerging non-binary person last year, I've gone through a long gender journey over like the last five or six years that ultimately resulted in me creating a show about the entire journey um, that was just finished and getting ready to tour when COVID hit. So I had some time to sit around and think about gender a little bit more deeply um, and kind of get faced with that kind of non-binary realization. Same. I know. know (laughs) I know. We went, and I think, in part of that, one thing, 
that was really critical for me as I was just starting to try on that identity was that the transgender district was hoping in a, hosting an event called non-binary chat, um, which I don't think they're currently offering, but it was just a social space to like mm-hmm. hang out with people. Um, and I think because I usually am facilitating those types of spaces, it just felt really good to be able to participate, to show up, to be a part of that. Um, The other thing I want to call out that I know is happening is that there's a um, burlesque night that regularly happens, I think, um, in conjunction with the mottos and Wicked Grounds called Om Nom Nom Non-Binary Burlesque. And I know that they're doing some events, I've caught some of their virtual stuff. I unfortunately was not able to make their last show this past weekend. But I'm just excited for us to have more spaces specifically for us and everyone included in that us as well. I feel like a lot of people use the pandemic for a lot of personal exploration. And I know like at least a couple of people that I know personally, and probably you know as well, who have long identified as trans are now identifying as non-binary. And I just feel like even people who are pretty well established on their own personal gender adventure, like are kind of recalibrating a little bit. Like it's really just intellectually fascinating. Oh yeah, I, I think for me, it was a matter of like when I wasn't needing to dress up to go places that I was like, oh, I actually don't like wearing pants. Like I stopped, I stopped, I think for like most of last year, I did not wear pants. Not that I didn't Wait, know where- it- Anything. Does that mean you were just hanging out in your underwear or you were wearing different kinds of... A variety um, of clothing on the lower half of my body that did not include pants, Peter Astrid, more specifically. <laughs> I, that's what I thought, but I just wanted to clarify. I'm not... I mean, and, not go and, down a and just no pants too, you know, like depending on the situation. I think we all did some things on Zoom that maybe we were like, you know, not the most proud of, but we did it anyway because of laziness. Every Pride board meeting, I'm wearing a barrel with straps. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and, and at least one earring. Only one. Yeah. One, one dangly and one stud. Yes. Lotus Boy, can you, can you speak to that? The, the proliferation of kind of non-binary people during the, during the pandemic? Uh, I don't know if I had noticed a proliferation. For me personally, I also did a lot of reflection and continued on my journey with trauma work and therapy. For a while, I didn't identify as trans before coming out as non-binary, although I felt like I was because of just a lot of gatekeeping that I noticed within the specifically trans community. And of course, there are folks who identify as trans, but not non-binary and non-binary, but not trans. And then there are people who identify as both. And I'm one of those people. But for a while, it was very confusing for me. And I think also contributed to why it took me longer to come out and feel more comfortable being out or even claiming, even using they, them pronouns or calling myself trans or non-binary was because I saw a lot of what people might call themselves binary trans people. And, you know, if you're not a binary trans person, that's okay too. But there are trans people who specifically identify within the binary, right? A lot of those people that I saw or just friends that I had placed a lot of emphasis on different aspects of their transition that I didn't feel were in line with my journey. At the time, I didn't know very many other non-binary people. And this was in about 20, I'd say I started questioning around 2016 didn't fully come out until maybe the end of 2018. 
And that was also when I started doing drag. Uh, April 2018 was my drag birthday. And I used drag at first as a safer way to explore gender without feeling like, you know, people are going to suddenly ask me a lot of questions. I mean, they still did, let's be real <laughs> about drag. But, but you know, um, and I've, I've had, I've spoken with other drag friends who have said similar things that when you're first starting out in drag, you know, there's still that element of, oh, this is kind of a performance, right? So people maybe don't ascribe it to your identity. And of course, there are cisgender people, a lot of cisgender people who do drag. But for me, it felt like a safer way to explore my masculinity, which I had repressed for a while since I was a kid, in a way that was also celebrated, right? Because the whole point of drag is that it's fun, usually, and campy, and you're there to elicit joy and laughter and deeper thought about oneself. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm still figuring things out like most people are. And for me, identifying as non-binary, although it is a label in itself, to me, there's a freedom in, in using that label because it means that you don't have to pick one iteration of gender. Sometimes I feel like it's, it, it's still limiting the way that we talk about uh, non-binary identities as like, you know, being in between feminine and masculine or, you know, on the spectrum of that, because I, I'm someone who thinks the spectrum shouldn't be just feminine and masculine, right? Like those are dominant yeah. energies that most people have present in them, but it's not the only way to measure one's gender performance. One of the things that I've had a really difficult time with is like, do I deserve to call myself trans? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I haven't, and I know, like, I, I know, I don't believe that people aren't. Like, you, if you are, if you say you are, you are. Like, right. that's how I look at everybody. But like, for me, just like, you know, when I have my moments of self-doubt and like, oh God, what am I doing? And it's just like, I haven't suffered enough or like put in enough. And I like all my life, I felt entirely inadequate as a boy. Like I went to all boys Catholic school and I was like last pick for everything. And like, and now I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so like, I, I, I've like, it's entirely flipped around where I feel like, oh, I'm too masculine. Mm. Like my voice is very mm -hmm. deep and it's only going to get deeper. And I like my voice, but like, it's just like, it is what it is. My feet are very large, you know, mm -hmm. you know, there's a time maybe like five years ago when I would think about gender every day and I was like oh god like I can either come out or I can just sit here thinking about this every day forever and now I came out and I probably think about it every hour you know at least like at least once an hour like the complications they don't they don't always uh they don't always resolve and you have to just enjoy the ride mm -hmm. I I agree and just to respond briefly to that I, same for me I think that since I've come out I do think about gender more in some ways but I also think it's not entirely on you or me or us. It's a product of living in a white supremacist capitalist nation that profits off of the binary gender that has been assigned to our, you know, society. And I think that the more and more that I learn and the more that I get more involved with community and explore my own identities. It's really about like, yeah, what is all this bullshit of like cis heteronormativity that I've internalized and even the ways that I view certain things like similar to what you said, I have maybe the not opposite because there's not only two things, but 
a different problem than you when it comes to my voice. Although same thing, I do enjoy my voice a lot and I value it as a performer and different character voices that I can do when I'm feeling silly. But at the same time, it it gets me gendered as she so often on the Mm -hmm. phone or even when I'm uh, like at the grocery store, someone will see me and maybe gender me as sir. And then as soon as I say something out, my I open my mouth and they'll be, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. And it's like, what didn't you realize though? <laughs> right. You didn't realize that you were about to assign me a gender that I didn't ask for, that you were just going off of what society has taught you. I think that for me, that's what non-binary is also about is like an active commitment to question myself every day and question the structures that inform so many of our decisions, unfortunately. Uh, Like, you know, even what you mentioned going to the DMV together earlier this year, which is super sweet. um, I still have to do that myself. (laughs) I'm just been, you know, it's a it's I'm sure, you know, it's such an arduous process to get anything changed. I probably would not have done it had we not had a buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I know. It's like, what are you here for today? Um, I'm here to change my gender. Like, right. I, that, I could not have said that without like. <laughs> and there. I mean, that's it's valid because it's like, even like thinking about it logically, how many DMV employees are now trained on mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. how to interact with non-binary people if and when they come to the DVMV to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just, a, this, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, I was going to say there are a lot of gender-affirming experiences, but like mm-hmm. a gender-affirming DMV experience is maybe not one you would expect. <laughs> yeah. But was like one of, one of my first experiences through the pandemic with you, Peter mm. Astrid, was just I don't know. It was such a lovely experience to be able to do that, which not that you you need that government recognition to identify as non-binary. People mm-hmm. have every which reason for yeah. doing whatever you want on your papers and having whatever identities you want. But for me, it was a legitimacy that I needed to kind of like fight that feeling. I think you were talking about Peter Astor, of like faking it or like how am I am I non-binary enough? One final question for you. So the United States government just issued a a non-binary passport um, not long ago, an X marker passport. And I really want one. I don't really need to be married. I don't don't need state recognition of my love life or my wonderful long-term relationship, but I fucking want that X on my goddamn passport. How how do you feel? What do you do you, you want that? I think I want to change my driver's license first. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think that would probably be necessary. Well, I don't know. I don't really know what the process yeah. is like, but I would assume I probably need to get my driver's license changed first. Thank you. I want to thank you both so much. I'm really really glad we got to have this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for thank having you us. Thank you for Peter having Astrid. me. It was so great. This has been The Queerness, a production of San Francisco Pride, conceived and co-produced by my hardworking colleagues, Chris and RJB, and our much-missed former colleague, Shannon. Our incredible guests on this episode were Lotus Boy and Kevin Seaman, speaking about They Friend, the non-binary performance art festival to be held on November 18th and 19th at Brava's Cabaret on 24th Street in the Mission. For tickets and more information, go to brava.org. Without the generous support of our sponsors, none of this would be possible. So a big thank you to T-Mobile, Alaska Airlines, 
Anheuser-Busch, and Waymo. Our theme music was composed by La Frida. We strongly encourage you to like and subscribe to us, which helps increase the queerness's visibility on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, because you know we're all about queer visibility around here. I'm your devastating host, Peter Astrid Kane, reminding you to be safe, but stay dangerous. We'll see you next time.